0: Hello to you. I do hope you're well and a very warm welcome to this A-level religious studies revision session. I'm Ben Wardle and coming up today, it is my specialist subject it is my hot topic christianity and sex i know what a unique coming together of two topics you never thought you'd see in the same video because today we are talking about augustine on original sin now this is a fascinating topic and it's not just because i'm biased and absolutely obsessed with exploring the christian attitudes to sex ethics but it's genuinely an issue that goes to the very heart of christianity it goes to the very heart of religious and catholic teachings and it raises us lots of questions not only about religion and religious teachings but about human nature and states of nature. And we will really be exploring an issue which I think continues to be so so relevant to the world today in terms of how religion has had such a fundamental um, influence on attitudes to sex and relationships and intimacy and um, the, the human body and has had this massive influence for so long and we're going to be tracing it all the way back to Augustine's teachings what he had to say about original sin and how it affects our state of nature um, and how it influences our sexual relationships and where he got this from in the Bible in the book of Genesis Genesis 2 and 3 the story of the Garden of Eden and of course the fall which is probably you know other than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ the most significant moment in Christian history this idea of a fall that God created this perfect world these perfect human beings and then in eating from the tree of knowledge in giving in to their desire um, they brought into the world sinfulness and so that explains not only the existence of sin in the world but it also gives us an insight into the importance of Jesus Christ as Redeemer because of the inherent sinfulness of all humanity. So you were born sinful because of the actions of Adam and Eve. So we're going to be exploring this in lots of detail. I read an article the other day um, which basically said um, that Saint Augustine, it was titled How Saint Augustine Invented Sex. This is you know it's a fascinating topic and it's a fascinating idea how influential Augustine's teachings on original sin have been not only for catholic christian teachings but also for humanity as a whole in its attitude to sex lust and relationships so it's a fascinating area for us to explore what i wanted to do was to start with just a Three key quotes from Augustine just to get you thinking and just to get you in the zone of his language and his approach and where he's going with things. So the first one is, he said, at some point in time, humanity turned its back on God. Okay, so that is, of course, referring to the historical fall, the idea that the fall happened. This was an event as recorded in the Old Testament of the Bible. And this was something that happened at a point in time, at a point in creation, humanity turned its back on God. And the whole of his theory is explaining the consequences of this decision by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The second quote is, what made Adam capable of goodness? also made him capable of sin. So explaining how it is free will that is to blame for the sinfulness. So God created a perfect world in order for it to be perfect, in order for it to be good. He had to give humanity free will, the freedom to choose to continue pursuing the good, or it involves, of course, on the flip side, the opportunity to turn away from it. And he's saying that what made Adam capable of goodness also made him capable of sin. So it is free will, which means it is self-inflicted by mankind. Because mankind has freely chosen, or Adam has on behalf of all of mankind, freely chosen to bring suffering, sinfulness, lust, desire, jealousy, envy and death into the world. Um, And why is this? This is probably my favourite quote from Augustine. He said for a runaway horse is better than a stone, so God being a loving, you know, omnip- benevolent, omnipotent, omniscient God, for a runaway horse is better than a stone, so humanity gone wrong is better than humanity manufactured to just do what God says, the idea that freedom and then misusing that freedom is better than, um, you know, like restricting someone and then doing the good thing because it's the only option they have. So that's the third one for a runaway horse is better than a stone but we're going to be exploring augustine and his teachings on original sin um, and the idea he had of the historical fall which brought original sin into the world as documented in the book of genesis genesis 2 genesis 3 um, and then this Raises lots of questions about moral goodness, about human nature, that's a massive point, and about sex and sexual desire as human beings. So plenty to explore, plenty to get into. Let's start though at the beginning with this idea of the historical fall. What do we mean by all this? Where, do, where does this all come from? So it's all starting in the book of Genesis and it's important to know Augustine was coming along, you know, he was a key church teacher, he's a key church father today and he came along, he read the Bible, he read, you know, the events recorded by the biblical writers as part of the biblical narrative and he was really captivated by Genesis the story of the fall this really intrigued him and he thought he said a lot and explained a lot about human nature about human beings and about the things that we do most importantly sex (laughs) okay so he came along and he read this text and he said right this is a very significant piece of scripture this is a historical event that did happen and it had huge huge enormous consequences for all of humanity and his idea is that when we read the story of the fall, we see that everything is perfect. You know, apparently in this pre world, so we'll be using these terms pre-lapsarian and post-lapsarian. pre just means it happened before the fall. Post-Lapsarian means it happened after the fall. So in this pre-Lapsarian world, it was essentially a paradise. As we read in Genesis 1, God created everything and saw that it was good. So what uh, Augustine says we deduce from that is that everything was good. Everything in creation was perfect. You know, people lived for eternity. They wanted for nothing. They had total happiness. They had total prosperity and peace and lots and lots of friendship. Friendship is a very key part of Augustine's theory. Men and women could just be friends, humanity was friends with God, everything was perfect, it was a little utopia, everything was wonderful. Now of course as all good stories go, it's not just a happy ever after because as part of this goodness, um, God gave humanity free will because a runaway horse is better than a stone. What made Adam capable of goodness also made him capable of sin. This idea that for it to be a truly good world, God had to give humans free will that was a loving thing for him to do and to give that as a gift now what we then see happening is you know that he gives humanity or he gives adam and eve who are the two central figures um and in a literal interpretation such as by augustine it is their actions which have absolute consequences for all of humanity like literally the decision they make influences the life of every human being who has ever lived that's from a literal perspective or from a symbolic perspective we could say they represent humanity they represent mankind they represent the human race so from a literal or a symbolic situation um perspective they have significance So, we've got Adam and Eve in this Garden of Eden, um, and there is this Tree of Knowledge. And as we all know in the story, the serpent tempts Eve to eat the fruit from the Tree of Knowledge. Now, it is no um, coincidence that it is the woman who eats from the Tree of Knowledge, and this is where a lot of the sexism that is, um, you know, fully out there in Christianity, in the Roman Catholic tradition especially, is. From this idea that woman brought sin into the world. That it was woman who was created second as a helper to Adam and who then tempted him and led to his downfall. And that's why women are then seen and depicted throughout Christian literature and through Christian history. As being this source of temptation for bringing evil into the world. Of using their sexual power if you like, their sexual attractiveness in a very negative, in a very toxic way. Which will bring about downfall and will bring sinfulness into the world. The idea that the woman, the female, um, brought sinfulness into the world because she was tempted by the serpent and in turn she tempted Adam and then that decision to eat from that tree of knowledge, to eat the apple, to eat the fruit, brought into it. First of all, the shame of nakedness, because in doing that they lost their clothes. So that then creates a whole problem about human nudity, which is, you know, in the Christian tradition where those attitudes about how you dress come from. You know, the idea of the naked human body as being something that's very taboo. Um, And then we have the idea of lost. Lust becomes, in this act, a very negative thing. They see each other naked and they are ashamed. They are embarrassed. And this really encapsulates the whole Christian idea and the whole Christian negativity around sex. Sex is seen as a very negative force because it has brought about the fall. And it leads not only to Eve's subordination, but it also leads to, and I am really with saying this word, concupiscence. Okay concupiscence I think I've said that right Um, and concupiscence is this idea of sexual lust and sexual desire and what a negative force it is because it leads to alienation from God it is a bad thing and this is why we see that coming into the world with the act of the fall driven by lust driven by desire driven by sexual feelings humanity sins and so at the core of sin is sexual desire sexual lust sexuality and so we see very clearly here where christian negativity around sex and uh, you know romantic relationships where that comes from because instantly lust and desire is seen as very selfish and very sinful and so you know when we're looking at good good is seen as a rejection of that lust and that sexual desire and that concupiscence which is seen as very bad in itself and very sinful and very contrary to the will of God and God's goodness and what should be our state of nature and our state of being so the harmony that is between God and creation is lost because the human nature has been corrupted by lust by sexual desire by being tempted that idea of temptation of being tempted to eat from the tree of knowledge eating the forbidden fruit and then sex itself throughout christian history over the past 2000 years becomes the forbidden fruit it becomes something soaked in shame and secrecy and it becomes a very taboo topic Okay, so not only because it's a woman. Um, Eve who leads to Adam's downfall if you like but also because they're then naked and it's all about you know they're no longer just friends because they've now seen each other naked because of their actions so lust comes into play desire comes into play and so sinfulness comes into play and if we look at the Catholic Church teaching even on sex today sexual pleasure is seen as very very sinful the idea in the church today that sex could be for pleasure is absolutely condemned it is not even for sex for the Catholic Church is only for the purpose of reproduction or procreation this this is why homosexuality contraception masturbation you know anything that does not fit that idea that sex is purely a means for reproduction is dismissed because the idea sex could be associated with pleasure is so sinful because it goes back to this idea of concupiscence of lust of desire, which leads to disharmony between God and creation, which leads to the spread of sinfulness in this world. Interestingly, uh, in Genesis, um, Augustine says, in the act of the fall, we lose our immortality. So before the fall, humans would have lived forever. By sinning in that act of eating the fruit, eating the forbidden fruit, we opened the door or Adam opened the door to sinfulness. A very interesting and very well-known one is the idea that then women would have pain in childbirth as a punishment. So the idea that the pain women feel in childbirth is a punishment for literally eating an apple in a garden in a story supposedly happening thousands upon thousands of years ago we're getting the evaluation in there already aren't we make sure you're getting your evaluation points ready to go because you know literally where do we bloody start but um it's this idea that original sin comes into the world the original sin is that act of adam acting because of the temptation of eve and her deceitfulness you know and how awful she is as a woman um adam brings that upon us all. And the Catholic Church teaches that we were all present, this is in accordance with Augustine who had a massive, massive impact and influence on Catholic teaching. The Church teaches that because we were all, and this is not scientifically proven, in fact, it's scientifically wrong, but this is a teaching, we were all um, in Adam's loins. We were all in Adam when he sinned. And so every single person that is born since Adam, so all of humanity, because he was the first man, every single human being is born inherently sinful because Adam fell from grace. He fell from God's glory and goodness and he sinned. He gave into temptation and desire and he misabused free will and he ate from the forbidden tree, ate the forbidden fruit. And brought sinfulness upon us, not only upon himself, but because he was acting with all of humanity within him, so to speak, then on all of us as well. So the church teaches every single person is born into a state of Sin. We are all born inherently sinful. God did not create humanity this way. He doesn't create us as sinful. He created a good world. And then the first human beings, Adam and Eve, misabused the free will he lovingly gave them. For a runaway horse is better than a stone and brought upon humanity because they represented humanity because all of humanity was effectively within them we are all Adam's sperm is basically what the church is saying because of that we inherit it in genetically within us the sinfulness that is on our shoulders from the second we are born in this world we cannot control our sexual desires as a result we are no longer good as a result we can do good but we are not good because we then have that sinfulness um, and it is adam loins which have passed on that sinfulness an interesting additional point to add is that um, that is transmitted we say well how is original sin transmitted do you know how is each person born with it The church teaches it's because of reproduction. So again, sex becomes the negative force because it is through sex that that transmission of original sin happens. Every time you do reproduce, remember, and reproduction is not okay if you find it pleasurable. Uh, Every time you do reproduce, you are transmitting original sin. So this only serves to further emphasise the negativity of sex because every time you have sex and you have a child, you are transmitting original sin, which began with Adam and is um, transmitted throughout human, the human race through sexual reproduction. So let's go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Let's see what the Church actually has to say on this. So this is from the catechism it says by his sin Adam as the first man lost the original holiness and justice he had received from God. Not only for himself but for all human beings. It goes on to say Adam and Eve transmitted to their descendants human nature wounded by their first sin and hence deprived of holiness and justice. This deprivation is called original sin. As a result of original sin human nature is weakened in its powers subject to ignorance suffering and the domination of death so the idea that death only exists because of sin so instantly death is seen as a bad thing as a punishment you are no longer immortal before the pre-lapsarian world you wouldn't die but as a punishment for that sin you will die Um, and inclined to sin we are inclined to sin this inclination is called concupiscence this idea that we are driven by lust and desire and so that brings the sinfulness and keeps it in the world and so the church is very keen on baptism and this idea that as soon as you're born you are sinful the only way you can be saved is if you are baptized into the church and you find redemption through jesus christ we're going to get onto this because this is a massive point In Augustine's theory, in just a second, this idea that it is through Jesus Christ alone and God's grace that you can be redeemed. Because this is a very, very negative state of nature. The idea you are instantly born into sin. You are born inherently sinful, driven by desire, lust, sexual desire, concupiscence. And, you know, we live in this very negative state where we can't be good. We're not good. We can only do good things. And it is only through God reaching out to us and saving us from ourselves that we can ever overcome that and seek in any way at all, entry to heaven, because we are inherently sinful. So it's a very negative and pessimistic state, I would say, because we are essentially arguing here that all humanity is um, flawed, is sinful, is, uh, you know, driven by sexual desire and lust, um, and it's a very negative perspective. An interesting point I want to just comment on is Augustine did not see um, evil or sin he didn't see sin as a thing in itself because basically what he believed is God can only create good. God is good so God will only create goodness and when he saw his creation as we know he said it was good. You know, so Everything is good with free will thrown in there and so what um, Augustine says is that original sin and all of sin is what he said, privatio boni, a privation of good. So sin is not a thing in itself, but it is an absence of good. So in the same way, you've got light and darkness. Darkness isn't a thing in itself, it's just an absence of light. In the same way, evil, sin and suffering is not a thing in itself, it is a privation, it is an absence It is a void it doesn't actually exist in itself and in that way Augustine can argue that God is always good God has not created anything that could be sinful or bad because he has created good it is through consciously turning away from that goodness and turning towards sin turning towards that darkness that humanity brings into the world brings upon themselves sinfulness the a very important point to note for Ivatio Boni. The idea that sin is not a thing in itself, so it didn't need to be created by God who creates everything that exists, but it is instead a privation of goodness that requires a conscious turning away from the good by Adam and Eve, by humanity as a whole. Because in the personal sin of Adam and Eve, we see the personal condemnation of the whole of humanity. So we are all condemned as sinful, And as turning away from God because of the actions of Adam and Eve. Now that, you know, instantly evaluation points coming in here. It doesn't practically make sense. You know, it seems very, very deeply unfair that, you know, these young little babies are sinful. If a baby dies before it's baptised, essentially that's saying in this way of thinking that child is going to go to hell because they are inherently sinful how can you say an innocent baby that's just been born is inherently sinful because in genesis adam ate from a tree you know so you're essentially then condemning that baby to hell So, you know, it's very interesting to be considering what the actual implications of this are and whether the practicalities are actually there. You know, can Augustine be right that, you know, this one little story in Genesis that someone's written down, we don't really have any proof whatsoever this happened. You know, God put two people in a garden, did he? Right, okay. The fact that happened has shaped the whole of human nature. Really? We're going to be exploring this in just a minute when we talk about the scientific understanding of human nature and whether we could reconcile Augustine's opinions and beliefs with the scientific consensus of today. But what I want to do is touch on the states of nature argument because the idea is that original sin corrupts our human nature. We were all, or humanity was, perfectly happy it was immortal you know it was in this wonderful state of peace prosperity happiness of friendship and then because of original sin because of the sin the misabuse of free will the privation of goodness by adam and eve in the garden of eden original sin corrupts all of our human nature because we are all present in adam's loins because original sin is transmitted through sex so the idea that original sin corrupts human nature and the guilt of Adam is then inherited by us all. So where does this fit in with philosophical ideas about states of nature? The key argument, as you will know, is between two key philosophers, Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes, and Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. So Hobbes famously believed that our state of nature is a very negative one. Okay, we are, he said, the life of man is solitary, nasty, brutish, and short. So this idea that the life of man in its, in our primitive state just as we were before civilization came along and um, you know so before we became civilized and we like you know followed rules and we had societies and these formal structures such as education and government and what have you. In our original, raw, primitive state, the life of man, solitary, nasty, brutish, and short, because it was a war of each against each, you know, it was every man for themselves, survival of the fittest. We were just animals, really. We were monsters. We just did what we had to do to survive, which normally ended up with us killing someone, someone dying, you know, it was just a bloodbath, essentially. That's what he's saying, that at core, we are without civilization to civilize us and to, you know, and make us into these good human beings who follow the rules and cooperate. Life is a very negative place. Rousseau argued, contrary to that. Rousseau said it is actually civilization and society which corrupts us. It is when society comes along and dangles in front of us the promise of owning property that we become those animals because it is then that we become jealous of people. It is then that we become ruthlessly competitive and will do anything to get ahead, to acquire more, to accumulate more. So Rousseau said there is nothing as gentle as man in his primitive state the problem is society and the invention of property and possession so the idea that before all of this civilization we were happy we were peaceful we were gentle we just did our thing we didn't have any of this envy any of this competition we were just happy so what we've got to ask is where does Augustine's opinion fit into this you know is it the idea that before the fall we were very happy we were very gentle and then there was the fall what does the fall represent does it represent our misabuse of free will or could it represent the invention of civilization could it you know represent when we let our temptations and our desires get in our way original sin again is the idea that um sorry Augustine says original sin corrupts human nature that is his idea and so as a result of the fall we need authority we need authority figures oh and then steps forward the catholic church what a coincidence could this be an attempt to justify their own existence and justify the controlling sexual rules they impose on people? Never. What a suggestion, my love. How rude. Um, he says, um, after the fall, we need authority to control us and um, because friendship is lost. This is an important point that you could link into Rousseau's idea that nothing is as gentle as man in his primitive state. You know, um, Augustine says... Before the fall, we were driven by friendship and every, everybody got on. Well, the two people, Adam and Eve, got on with God as well. And friendship, you know, and hospitality. Whereas after the fall, as a consequence of that fall, Friendship is lost, and so it becomes very selfish. You know, A.K.A. driven by lust and desire. I keep coming back to these keywords: lust and desire. Get them in there. This is what um, Augustine sees as the cause of all sinfulness: lust, desire, selfishness, temptation, concupiscence. Okay, this is very, very important. You know, T.H. Uh, Huxley, who was a biologist and he was described by one commentator as Darwin's bulldog, said, and this is obviously a scientific point of view, therefore, he said, morality is a revolution against the selfishness of nature. Um, And he said, we have an innate tendency for self-assertion. Now, this is interesting because this could effectively support what Augustine is saying. Augustine is saying that in our corrupted, sinful state, we are inherently selfish we are driven by lust and desire and our wants and you know our personal wishes and hugsy is saying morality is a concept we've invented as a revolution against that selfishness so morality could represent the church's rules it could represent you know a system of governance and principles and morals but essentially the most important point here is that that morality morality doesn't come From our nature. It is a revolution against. It is a conscious decision to reject our natural state and to do something different because we realise the inherent sinfulness or the inherent um, selfishness of it. So that's very, very interesting for us to be considering and just taking that position and point of view into account. Um, Of course, I couldn't possibly go on without mentioning my favourite philosopher, John Stuart Mill. He said, of course, nature kills this idea that nature is selfish and um, you know and if we look at nature the natural world it's very brutal it's very cutthroat it's very survival of the fittest morality which could be seen as representing say the christian church for example which is sought to invent a system of morality is our redemption from that sinfulness from that selfishness. Remember, the equation between selfishness and sinfulness. We're using those terms as if they've got some kind of very specific relationship between them. Uh, So, what are the consequences of this teaching of original sin? And this idea are our state of nature, our human nature, is inherently sinful. We are born sinful and driven by selfish, lustful desires. Um, what are the consequences of this? For knowledge of God, you know, let's get your synoptic links in there. It means, and um, the Im- image of God is lost in human beings because we are corrupted. In that corruption, we lose sight of God. We lose that connection between God. You know, um, if we're talking about. In the prelapsarian world, there was friendship and connection between God and mankind. That is lost. There is a literal fall. So if you think of it in a symbolic way, the fall symbolizing literally our fall from grace, our fall from a relationship, a connection with God and his goodness. Um, And then what are the consequences in terms of theodicy? You know, explaining evil and suffering in the world. Essentially, Augustine's original sin argument is his explanation for evil and suffering in the world. If you look at the philosophy of religion specification. There is a whole topic on this and Augustine's views on why evil and suffering exists. He is essentially saying evil is a privation. It is when Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and his goodness that it is through their misabuse of free will they brought evil and suffering into the world. So evil and suffering does not have its origins in God or the divine, but it has its origins in the actions of mankind. In Adam and Eve, misabusing the lovingly given free will to bring upon the world punishment to bring upon the world sinfulness lustfulness and negative desire and so it is only in the person of Jesus Christ and this is where Christianity really emphasizes the importance the significance and the uniqueness of Christ not only as the son of God but as redeemer and source of salvation it is only in Jesus Christ that humanity can be reconciled with God and if you look at the Bible in what um, in literary schools is called a comedic structure, you start off high, you have the fall, literal fall in this case, you have the fall, something goes wrong and at the end of the story you are back, to your happy ever after. So it's sort of this comedic structure where it starts off well, something bad happens and then you're redeemed to a happy ending. In the same way, uh, for Augustine's idea of original sin, we have that happy start where the world is created perfectly. There is then the fall, which is in this case, a literal fall, and then we have the redemption and the in, and the, in the literal resurrection. So it is through Jesus Christ who we have that fall and then he comes along. The Catholic church, the church sees Jesus Christ, and this is an idea that's um, derived from the writing of Saint Paul and his letters of the New Testament, Sees Jesus Christ as the second Adam okay so the idea that the first Adam caused a bit of trouble shall we say and led to the fall it is Jesus the second Adam who has a physical who has a symbolic resurrection which restores humanity through its previously good relationship with God and the point of emphasis which is placed on the role of Jesus and the role of God in sending Jesus is God's Grace. Now this is extremely, extremely significant for Augustine. He believes very strongly in God's grace, that it is God's grace alone which can save you. This really links in well to the uh, topic of theodicy in philosophy of religion and the idea Augustine puts forward about predestination it is only through god's grace that you can be saved you cannot be worthy of salvation through your own efforts because you cannot do good e- enough you cannot do enough good sorry because of the corruption of your human nature the corruption of your soul because of original sin you cannot ever become worthy of an afterlife of eternal life through your own efforts because of this in dead you can only become worthy of salvation through God's grace through God reaching out to you through God having mercy on you through God sending Jesus Christ to you to save you so you cannot become worthy through your own efforts Um, and now this is challenged by Pelagius who was a, a fierce critic of Augustine's idea of original sin. And he believed that God became like man, that man might become like God. And this idea that we should grow and develop through our lives, this is supported by John Hick, into godlike beings. So it is a journey of growth that you can become worthy of salvation through your own efforts now the catholic church sided with augustine it said no that's wrong we are corrupted we are sinful it is only through god's grace and him reaching out to you that you could ever be worthy of salvation and so what we see is a very interesting um decision by the church to reject as heretic the teaching of Pelagius and to side with Augustine and at the Council of Trent in the 16th century this was um, solidified, it was cemented, it was confirmed in Catholic teaching that Augustine's doctrine of original sin is the correct understanding of human nature and of mankind. Um, now a big part of God's grace and how this is understood by Augustine is the idea of the sun and bonum and the idea that God's goodness is the greatest goodness. Remember, God is only good. He cannot do anything. He is not going to create anything contrary to goodness and contrary to his good. You have worldly goodness, which is very limited to specific actions because we cannot as a whole become good because of the tainting by original sin i mean it is god's goodness which is the greatest good this is very comparable to plato's idea of the form of the good so if you see god's goodness as like the form of the good you've got quite a good understanding that you can build up in your mind there and he contrasts augustine contrasts worldly goodness which is so limited because of the corruption of the fall basically everything that's wrong with the world is blamed on the fall so blame adam is augustine's solution we've got worldly goodness, which is so limited in comparison to the summum bonum, the greatest good, God's goodness. And you can only secure a place in heaven. You can only become worthy of this goodness, if you like, through God's grace. It is only through God reaching out to you, showing compassion, mercy, forgiveness to you that you can become worthy of a place in heaven because it is God's grace. So, this is a theory which very much emphasises the sinfulness, the tainted nature, the corrupted nature of humanity and humans and uses that to juxtapose, to contrast, to then emphasise the goodness, the glory, the divinity and the saving power of God and his grace. So very clear contrast develops and that, you know, demonstrates to us why the church has been very critical of things like sex and passion and personal freedom because it believes humans are fallen, corrupted, sinful and driven by negative lustful desires in contrast to the goodness of God. And so we need authority to make us conform so that we will be, um, you know, controlling our desires. And then maybe God might show compassion on us and reach out to us with his grace. So for me, this is, you know, at face value, a very pessimistic theory. But there's some debate about this. You know, you could take some optimism out of it you could take some positives away from it so let's have a discussion of this let's start with the pessimism of this theory it is essentially condemning all of us based on the actions of two people in a biblical story which we do not even have any evidence whatsoever is literally true so it's based on an idea of a historical fall which has then had serious biological consequences for the whole of the human race and it's based on the assumption we all descend from the same source which is um, Adam. Now it's a very limiting approach I believe you know it's very much you are tainted from birth and not only that yes okay you've got baptism which can save you but you have no chance to develop or to escape your destiny which is essentially condemning you to a life of sinfulness um, and saying, you know, you are tainted and corrupt from birth. You know, this is something I think very hard to stomach for people in the 21st century or to get their head around and to just accept that. These ideas about concupiscence, you know, the idea of sexual pleasure is bad, I think that's had a very negative effect on Western ideas about sex. Sex can be an expression of love. And what's wrong with sex being for pleasure? You know, this idea that it is very negative has led to very negative attitudes towards women, for example, who are then painted as just being these um, sexual tempters who need to be, you know, concealed, covered up and need to be um, resisted at all costs, if you like. It creates very negative ideas. Um, And again, this idea that through sex we transmit original sin, creating this association in people's heads between sex and lust and desire and whatever and sin. And that correlation could be very negative for how we understand sex, how we understand our bodies, and how we feel about life and about the world in general. So there's a lot of issues here that we need to consider and address What are the consequences of these teachings? We can bloody see them when we look at the Christian church and the history behind it and the effect of those teachings on people, on their everyday lives, on their health and happiness living in this world today. Um, Very interesting to consider that Augustine himself, in his book called Confessions, wrote all about his sexual experiences. You know, it seems to me he went, he had all this sex with all these different people of different genders, I'd like to add, if you know what I mean, dear. He went and had all this experience and then he suddenly decided, well, I've had my fun. No one else can have any. And then put all these teachings into place. You know, what we're seeing is very negative attitudes, very restrictive Um Michael Foucault Foucault, um, said the church is responsible for what he described as controlling sexual practices. The church has used sex as a weapon to oppress and suppress and limit people, to control their behaviours and to shape their attitudes to a whole array of issues. And so this is a very pessimistic approach because by saying we are corrupted, by saying sex and sexual desire is sinful and bad and wrong, we are, you know, reflecting on a lot of wider issues and the idea that you can never become worthy of redemption through your efforts. that makes it seem like well what's the point of being moral what's the point of doing good if whatever you do you're never going to be able to escape this sinfulness i'd be thinking well let's just embrace it then what's the point never mind but there are optimistic points we can say for a start the roman catholic church describes it as the happy fault of adam very good quote you might want to use it's the happy fault of adam because it is only because of adam's sin that we are able to see the greater blessing of jesus christ so without adam's sinfulness we'd never see the glory and goodness of jesus christ and that is seen as outweighing the sinfulness if you like because jesus is the redemption in that comedic structure it is he who brings about the redemption the reconciliation the rescue from the bottom to restore that relationship to restore the harmony and the connection between the divine and the human so we could say if it hadn't been for original sin, we wouldn't get that redemption through Jesus Christ. Christians think Jesus Christ is the son of God, is God, and so is this essentially significant figure in human history. Without original sin, we wouldn't have Jesus. So actually, we need original sin. We need to be tainted and corrupted in order to be rescued and restored. And the greatest happiness in this world, a Christian might argue, comes not from never having sinned, but through having sinned and being redeemed. So it's almost like a greater God, which requires, that original sin it emphasizes grace so it means that God's goodness is unconditional because if he's going to show you love and compassion despite all your sin and despite all your flaws then he must be very good indeed and that's the kind of love we want so it makes the grace and God's goodness more um, prevalent and more apparent to us Um, because it's given to an undeserving humanity, so that emphasises God's goodness and makes him a God worthy of worship. We're not worshipping him so we can get something out of it, because no matter what we do, we'll never, through our own efforts, attain that salvation but we are worshipping him because he deserves it because of how good and loving he is although why would he have caused all these problems in the first place if he was um again it emphasizes the role of Jesus Christ without original sin there would be no role for Jesus Christ there would be no point to the resurrection Christians do see the resurrection as the most important event in history and so that wouldn't have happened without original sin So, original sin almost is the catalyst is the cause is the ne- is, necess- is necessary is necessary It has necessity, I was trying to say both words at the same time then, in order for that greater good, that greater glory, that greater redemption in the resurrection to happen. It also emphasizes the important role of the church, the important role of morality. Morality is a revolution against the natural selfishness of nature. The idea that it emphasizes the human need for our higher level of consciousness, our higher level of morality and connection and awareness. Of sacraments such as baptism, it gives them greater significance. It gives the church greater significance because it has an active role to play in helping to guide a fallen humanity. You could say, when you become aware of the fact that you know this lust and this selfishness is just inherent in you, you then become aware of it. You can then work to overcome it or you can work to control it. Um, And so, that can be quite a positive, optimistic thing because it then gives you a chance to manage it in a healthy way and it emphasizes faith's role as a guide so essentially you know it demonstrates to us why religion is needed and it explains you know why we need that level of guidance why we need that authority you could say there was foucault says it's just an attempt to control us to make us feel guilty and to then control our behaviors which really you know, aren't hurting anybody else, as utilitarianism, as John Stuart Mill has said in his non-harm principle, as long as you aren't hurting anybody, you should be free to do whatever you like. This approach is clearly very, very different, because it's condemning your behaviours for being selfish, for being lustful, for being based on your desires, because it's saying your desires are wrong. In the same way that the naturalistic fallacy is the idea that whatever is natural is good, you know, it's saying there's a correlation between what is natural is good, This approach seems to be saying whatever comes naturally to you is wrong. So you are inherently flawed. You are inherently sinful. And that's a very strong message that the Catholic Church does proclaim very frequently if you listen to what Pope Francis says on a weekly basis it is always about we are fallen I am sinful I am a sinner I need redemption you know it's very oppressive language think about how that language if you're hearing that you are sinful you are inherently sinful you know you were born sinful you know you are driven by lust and it's all this negative language what effect does that have and how might that have been manipulated by the church authorities of the past in order to shape, influence and coerce people to do what they wanted them to do? Um, I just want to conclude this session by um, analysing Augustine using Pelagius. So we've spoken about Pelagius um, and you speak about him if you're doing the uh, philosophy of religion, theodicy, the problem of evil, because whilst Augustine's approach is seen very much as soul deciding uh, pelagius is the soul making um, and that's the language used by john hick who is a contemporary theologian sadly died in 2012 who is a big supporter of pelagius and the idea that life is not about being condemned to sinfulness and then hoping that god will give you grace but it's about a soul um developing and a growth driven approach to life a strategy of self-development self-improvement of learning from your mistakes and growing into goodness rising to glory if you like so i want us to look through um at what augustine says about human nature and using pelagius pelagius to evaluate that on human nature on sin on guilt death grace salvation suffering god and on jesus okay so we're going to fly through these and talk about these in terms of our evaluation remember don't just save your evaluation to the end though in an essay make sure it's there throughout you're integrating it so if you're talking about augustine's belief on the state of nature be getting in rousseau there and saying why rousseau either supports augustine or challenges augustine and why always talk about the strengths and the weaknesses what is good about this point what is the flaw of this point how might modern science critique that if you're saying that you know we all inherit this sin through reproduction you know there is no scientific evidence it is biologically flawed as an idea what are the consequences of that does that mean we have to reinterpret the idea of original sin as more metaphorical and symbolic than literal or is there some way we can cling on to it you know what does evolution have to say about this idea of original sin spoiler that it's wrong (laughs) all right so let's talk about it so for augustine Human nature. Human nature is damaged by the fall. It is sinful. So we can say this is a very pessimistic approach to human nature and it condemns innocent people. You know, it condemns all of us based on the actions of two people in a ancient text. Um, Pelagius said that human nature cannot be flawed because um, God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be good. How can he ask us to be good if our nature is flawed? you could say, and then Pelagius' argument is, we you know, we grow to glory, we rise to goodness in life. Augustine puts a ceiling on that and says, that's not happening, honey, it's impossible for you, my love. Yeah? So, we then move on. So, what about sin? So, for Augustine, humans are incapable of avoiding sin. Um, this is now such that it has a, we have a tendency away from goodness. So, we are drawn towards sin. Because of um, the temptation and lustfulness, we are tempted towards sin. We are drawn towards sin. It is what we are motivated by. It's what we want. So, we have... which have been tilted towards sin because of the fall the scales are tilted towards sin so it's much harder according to Augustine for us to do good than to sin because we are drawn towards sinfulness for Pelagius humans do not have to sin it is um, free will it is possible for us to be good it is possible for us to sin as well Um, you know we can live a good life he says without God's intervention remember for Augustine we are basically sinful and so unless God intervenes That is our state. Whereas for Pelagius, he argues that you can be good through your own merit. You don't depend on God showing you grace or mercy. You are just Possibly capable of doing good on your own merit autonomously as an individual. Guilt and original sin for Augustine. Adam's sin affects all people. The fall transmits great guilt, sorry, to the whole human race. We are sinful from birth. As we said about babies, if you die before being baptized, essentially the church position is you will go to hell. And um, the church actually now teaches you will go to purgatory. The baby would go to purgatory, but if you've not been baptized, because the second you are born. You are sinful. So Pelagius, he argued, we are all created in the same state as Adam. We are only responsible for our own sin. We become sinners not at birth, but when we choose to sin. So this idea that you can't possibly be tainted simply because you were apparently in Adam's loins. But it must be an act. You can sin, but you aren't born sinful so instead of it being inherent to your nature it's something that you have the freedom to choose to do but it is then out of your own behavior and actions um death for augustine death is the consequence and punishment for sin so remember in the prelapsarian world people didn't die apparently it was um you know so wonderful death is a kind of punishment Um, For Pelagius and for modern people, death is a biological necessity but not a punishment. You know, Augustine making death a very negative thing. Actually, could we not see it as a biological fact of life? Not for Augustine. Um, Grace, this is a big topic for Augustine, of course. Humans cannot do any good without God's grace, which he chooses to give you. So you cannot be worthy of goodness through your own efforts alone. Um, Pelagius says God's grace assists you to do the right thing. Um, but humans can carry out the actions autonomously. It's within our capabilities, within our free will, to choose to do good. And it is perfectly reasonable to say that we can do that without the necessity of God choosing to help you out because you are not so tilted and distorted towards negativity and sinfulness that you can choose to do good. You have some kind of autonomy and some kind of capability to do good yourself salvation now salvation for augustine is the free and unmerited gift of god um god rewards how he pleases reward is not because of action so no matter what a good person you are if god doesn't just decide yeah i'm going to reward you i'm going to save you It doesn't matter. So it's this idea of predestination. God has decided before you've done anything, whether you're going to heaven, whether you're going to hell, it's through his grace alone you can be saved. You cannot be worthy through your own efforts. Um, And Augustine uses Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16 to support this and the parable of the workers. Whereas for Pelagius, humans use their own free will to choose God. He says we become worthy of goodness. We become worthy of God through our own efforts. Um, So... Now for Augustine, this, this idea is downplaying grace. If you're saying you become worthy through your own efforts, Augustine says, you know, what about the role of grace? You're undermining the importance and significance and sanctity of grace, which is seen as so, so important, the idea of God and his sum and bonum goodness. But for Pelagius, you can become worthy of salvation through your efforts, through doing good. There's an idea John Hick is a contemporary supporter of, in that you, it's a soul making theodicy, that it is through your own efforts, you become worthy through your own efforts. This encourages and motivates you to do good in life because this means you'll be worthy of um, salvation. Suffering for Augustine, all suffering is deserved because it is a punishment. We are all in original sin, we've brought it upon ourselves, or Adam has brought it upon us on our behalf. And because we're in his loins, and because he represents humanity, we essentially deserve it. And um, even in- infants, so even a tiny baby one day old, deserves to suffer because they're born into a state of original sin. Um, Pelagius says this, you know, makes God sound arbitrary, which means random, in punishing innocent babies. That doesn't seem like a loving thing to do. How can that be a loving thing for God to punish innocent people when they haven't done anything wrong? Um, Augustine says you're guilty by association. Original sin is transmitted through reproduction. Um, God For Augustine, God remains good because, of course, uh, evil is a privation. It's not a thing in itself created by God. It's a privation. It's a turning away brought about entirely by the human misabuse of free will. Uh, He says that God is loving and he shows that love and that benevolence through grace. He's not to blame for evil because evil is an absence, not a thing in itself. Whereas, Pelagius says it would be unjust for God to condemn humans for something they could not help. How can you condemn, punish you know, and um, hurt someone for something they haven't consciously chosen to do. I didn't ask to be born, (laughs) I didn't ask to inherit original sin, I didn't ask my parents to have sex. So even if that is the approach you take, that it's transmitted through original sin, uh, original sin is transmitted through reproduction, how can you then hold me accountable? How can you blame me? Because again, it's not through my conscious efforts. So you're condemning the innocence, a very key criticism. Um, And then finally, Jesus is for Augustine the solution to the problem. He is the redeemer. It really, really emphasises his saving power, his role in salvation as a restorative key catalyst, bringing that harmony between the fallen humanity and the good divine back together for restoring that gap that has developed um but for pelagius he says hang on how is it just in jesus what about in other world religions people do good just because they weren't a christian does that mean they're then condemned they're sinful and bad people and what about the people before um jesus you know jesus only existed two thousand years ago humans have existed for hundreds of thousands of years does that mean everybody that lived even in the old testament times before jesus had come along does that mean I mean they're all then condemned they're all then off to hell because they weren't alive to hear jesus's message if he is the one individual that can be the second adam and restore that harmony what does that mean for all those people that lived before Jesus and all those people that haven't heard his teachings? And that's a nice link to religious pluralism. Um, you can see that video, go and watch that one next. And, and you can see how, if we were just saying it's through Christ alone, the sola Christus principle, which John Hicks says should be abandoned by the Catholic church, you know, how limiting and restrictive is that? And is that not unfair and also irrational? How can it be that it's just one man who lived 2000 years ago, which often us the key to salvation. You know, it's very limiting, very restrictive, a very narrow perspective. But that brings to an end this introduction to Original Sin for the Developments in Christian Thought topic. Thank you very much for joining me. I need a long lie down and a strong cup of tea. I hope you have a lovely, lovely day and very good luck with your revision. Follow me on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter, Ben Wardle underscore. Thanks for watching. Get in touch. Comment down below and I'll see you very soon for more. Bye-bye.